Our scripture reading this morning is Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. That's page 564 in the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope uh, that we can be an encouragement to you. The wife heard the report on the news that there was a blue Cadillac with an elderly gentleman driving the wrong way down the interstate through the middle of town. She was so scared, she knew that her husband had become very forgetful lately, and he was driving a, a blue Cadillac, and so she calls him on the cell phone and says, Honey, honey, are you okay? I've, I've just heard the news that there's a blue Cadillac driving the wrong way down the interstate. He says, Listen, I'm fine, but it's not just one car, it's hundreds of them. <laughs> you know, all of us have seen the signs on the roadways that says wrong way. I remember riding with a woman one time that was very deep in conversation and we pulled up to the intersection. It was a one-way street and she has her left signal on in the middle of her deep conversation. She hangs a left and goes by two of those big signs on either side that says wrong way. I hated to interrupt her, but you know that we did and we quickly explained to her, you can't go this direction. It's one-way street. You know, there's many times in the Scriptures where God interrupts our living, or at least He tries to. He's trying to communicate to us that there's a healthy way to live, and there's a right way to live. And if we're on that wrong way of living, God's trying to communicate to us and tell us, change that. There's a better life, there's a better way to do it. The text that's been so capably read to us this morning I want you to think about the strong words there in verse 16, where in the form of poetry, he says there's six things that he hates, and then he says, yes, seven are an abomination to the Lord. Notice the strong words there as he spoke of things that God hates. The idea of hate here is that there's a personal dislike. In other words, there are things that stirs the wrath of God. These are things that God hates. But then notice he also spoke of them being an abomination. Not only are they things that stir the wrath of God where we could say, is God a fickle God? How do I know what He likes and and how do I know what He dislikes? He states it in another way to say they are what they are. They are things that in and of themselves, they're an abomination. To do these things are things that are detestable. They're immoral. They're simply wrong in and of themselves. And you know, the reality is that's all the things that God hates. Things that are wrong. But let's pause before we begin this lesson this morning. 
And let's think about this. Why does God warn us about these things? Is He trying to be a rigid and and coarse and, and rough God that's like a steel fist that, that's banging on a table that says, I'm Almighty God, and you obey me. I don't believe it's that way at all. I think it's the same way that those of us that love our children deeply, and we see our child about to be involved in something that is wrong, and something that we know the consequences of that wrong is very painful. And it breaks our heart. And so we plead with that child, don't do that. And we literally can say to ourselves, and we can say to our child, I hate that. And it's not because we hate our child, it's because we love our child so much, we want what is right and best for them. And in that sense, as parents, we hold up the wrong way signs very often. And it's because we love our children. We're saying, this is the wrong way to live. Don't go this way. Don't travel that path. That road has a lot of bumps in it and a lot of hardships in it. And so God this morning could hold up signs telling us many, many, many things that He would say, don't do this. But it's interesting in Proverbs, we have a proverb that's a few verses long, and here God holds up a wrong way sign, and He says there's seven things that I want you to see that if you travel this road, you're going to hurt yourself, and you're going to hurt a lot of other people along the way. And so I need to listen carefully to God's Word, and I need to make sure that I'm dealing honestly with my life, and I need to make sure that I have these seven things completely out of my life not only for the glory of God, because it's right in the sight of God, but also because our God, our Father that loves us, is saying, this is best for you here and for eternity. The first thing, as we look at our list in verse 17, he says that the Lord hates a proud look. Now on the screen there you see Psalms 101 and verse 5, where he says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor... Him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I'll not endure. Notice also from that, God not only says, don't want the proud look, He says, I can't endure it. Have you ever thought about some facts that God will not, cannot endure? God says, I can't deal with individuals that the look, the windows to the heart are the eyes those looks of arrogance, those looks where individuals come across as knowing more than God knows. He says, I can't endure that. In other words, that breaks the relationship between us and God. But notice also as we look at Proverbs, the 16th chapter and verse 18, he says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now we don't have the slide for this one or even the reference on the slide, but I want you to notice how similar Paul quotes this principle in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in verse 12, when he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, for a long time, I used to think that that was simply the idea of sowing and reaping. You go out and you sow a haughty look down the road, you will reap destruction or a fall. And I think that's still true in, in principle. But I think either by principle or by application, something else is true. And that is, When we have a proud or an arrogant look, what we're really doing is we're opening an arena for so many other sins to come into our life so that once those other sins come into our life, the only thing that can be the result 
is that of destruction. You know, our task as parents is to constantly be working with our children. The other day, uh, my children and myself were in a setting where it was obvious that a teenage girl had a proud look. And so after we were out of that setting, I just mentioned to my kids, I said, kids, if that girl continues with the same heart that she has today, there are going to be some hardships in her life. Because you can tell by her body language and by the way she rolls her eyes that she doesn't respect authority. Two days later, we heard of serious trouble that she was in. I need to realize that when I roll my eyes toward other people, I'm not saying how ridiculous you are. I'm saying, open my chest and look how ungodly I am. That's all I'm communicating is how sick, spiritually sick, I am inside. Friends, we can have a proud and an arrogant look toward God. We can have it toward each other. But the one that needs to wake up this morning is myself and say, I'm the one that's struggling if I'm giving those looks. Because it communicates a lot more about the one that gives it than the one that is the recipient of it. God is holding up that wrong way sign this morning. And He's saying, if that's become a habit in your life, it's revealing a heart that really, really needs to be addressed today. But let's notice the second thing. As we go back to our text in Proverbs Notice he says also not only a proud look, but still in verse 17, he says a lying tongue. You know, when we look into the reality of the world today, almost all of the surveys come back with the same result, and that is that the majority of Americans lie on a continual basis. In other words, they admit to it. It's not asking people, do you think people lie on a continual basis? People admit that they lie. The majority of Americans admit that they lie on an ongoing basis, and certain things in life they are very willing to be deceptive about. And so we have to say, you know, that means that here's a wrong way sign up and the majority of the people are traveling down that one way, that, that wrong way sign, passing it up. And so that means if we're not going that direction, we're somewhat definitely in the majority. Is that right? Should we be going against the flow to that extent? And we look in the Scriptures and we see passages like in Psalms, the fifth chapter. In Psalms, the fifth chapter, in verse 6, he says, You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. What I need to learn today is that something that has become very commonplace to our culture is not at all accepted in God's house, among God's family. Something from the Old Testament. Were there men and women that lied under the old law? Absolutely. What did God say? I can't tolerate it. We come over to the very beginning of the church. And you know, it's exciting, isn't it, to read the book of Acts, and especially the first four chapters, and you just see the gospel being preached and people responding and it growing by thousands. And I mean, really, if you love the Lord's church, a read through Acts will bring you to the edge of your seat. It's so exciting. And then all of a sudden, 
you flip the page and you come to the fifth chapter and it's the first problem that we see in the Lord's church. And what is it? Now today, if I ask you, hey, what's some problems in the Lord's church? How long would your list of problems be before you came to lying? But that's the very first problem that we see in Acts the fifth chapter. And God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead for their lying. That alone because they lied. And then the Scripture tells us at the end of that paragraph that others, when they heard of it, fear came upon them. Friends, that is recorded for a reason. Fear needs to come upon you and I if we're used to traveling that wrong way street. It says lying is acceptable. God has never said lying is acceptable. Instead, Revelation's the 21st chapter and verse 8. Notice this list of individuals and notice who is among this list, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexual and moral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Friends, God doesn't have this this idea that says, well, maybe if you just don't do it about big things, you'll be okay. Maybe if you just don't do it often, you'll be okay. God says, I want you to speak truth. Sixty times in the Gospels, Jesus Christ said, I tell you the truth. When love is defined in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it's those that do not rejoice in iniquity, but those that rejoice in truth. You and I should love the truth that God has revealed to us, and everything that we say on a daily basis ought to be true, because that would make us like the nature of God. And so we see that wrong way sign where God's saying, don't let your tongue become a member of your body that works against God. But then he mentions a third thing. And here he mentions hands that shed innocent blood. You see how he's kind of going through different members of, of the body. With the First it was the proud look referring to the eyes, and then it was the heart, and now, and now he, or the tongue, and now he refers to the hands that shed innocent blood. You know, there are a lot of things in the Scriptures from the very beginning in Genesis. You remember the brother that shed the blood of his brother? And God dealt with him harshly on that. God made it very clear that life was sacred from the very beginning. And as we look in passages like Matthew the 5th chapter and verse 21, we see that God wants not only for us not to shed blood and, and to not murder, but He even wants us to control our relationships so that they don't get out of hand and get to that point. He says, don't be angry without a cause there in Matthew 5. But I want to read, and let's read together Romans the 13th chapter. And uh, the, the passage there says, verse 9, let's read um, at least 9 and 10 together here. We're in Romans the 13th chapter. And notice what is the solution here from this wrong way. Instead of murdering, what we need to implement is love toward one another. So he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and that's coming up. You shall not covet, and if there are any other commandments, all are summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice this definition of loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If we love our neighbor, we won't harm that neighbor. We won't murder that neighbor. We won't shed the blood of that neighbor. The most dangerous place in America for a baby to be today is in the womb of a mother. 
One out of four children do not survive the womb of the mother because of the shedding of innocent blood. But you know, not only, and I'm assuming that in the Scriptures that is speaking of death in particular, but you know, there's also the shedding of blood that doesn't take the life of an individual, but it still violates the will of God. Today there's problems in families, and many of the dysfunctional families from time to time shed blood of each other through abuse and through neglect. And God has no intentions that that should happen in His home. And so He's holding up a wrong way sign and He's saying, don't travel that path. Treat each other with love. Treat each other with respect. Nurture and build up each other. Don't become of a mindset that would become of an anger that is so raging that it's out of control and wants to harm someone. A fourth thing that we see is not only the hands that shed innocent blood, but now we go to verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. Now this is interesting when we just think about the three words there. As we think about devises, the word device is, it comes from kind of two different uh, lines of thinking. The first is, it comes from the idea of to make something from scratch. You know, some of, some of you ladies, uh, you know that some of the best baking, it's not easy because it's made from scratch, but all of us knows the rewards of that when that extra effort is given to make something from scratch. It's to fabricate something on your own. And then, of course, we understand wickedness is that that works against God, that which is iniquity. But then, also, we see that the plan there, and by the way, the second aspect of, of device is, is that that works in secret. And so then we couple that with the idea of plan, and a root study of the word plan is, is to imagine something, to calculate something. And so what the Lord is warning against is He's warning against it's the wrong way to live when we allow our hearts to come up with ideas, to come up with schemes, to fabricate ways of thinking that are evil, and we create those plans, of course, in secrecy. We don't want everyone knowing about the evil intent that we hope to accomplish in our life. Now, of course, the most extreme nature of that kind of planning is when there's been research and investigations done on, say, for example, the school shootings. And they find out that many of those youth, they find in their journals much of the thinking that they've been doing toward that. And they find the websites and the resources that they've developed to come up with these schemes. And they even go back and see some of the, the movies that they've been watching. And they're able to see how all of these plans turned in the mind, but yet how they kept them secret and how eventually that heart's desire, as a man thinketh in his heart so easy, the proverb writer says, and how that was fulfilled one day. Now, Probably there's most, I hope, if not all, sitting here this morning says, well, I don't have to worry about that because I don't sit around dreaming how to kill people. But you know, have you had that situation lately where someone has said something to you and it really, really struck you the wrong way? And as you were driving down the road later, you began thinking of all the ways you can come back next time. You begin fabricating those plans that whenever this happens next time, this is the way I can get at them. Friends, that's the same wickedness of the heart that the Lord says, don't have that. You know, when it's heart talk, 
you're the only one that can talk to your heart in a sense of controlling it. And that's the times that you and I need to very quickly correct ourselves and say, I can't think like that and I can't talk like that to myself. And those are the times that we need to ask God to forgive us for those thoughts that we ought to not have been having in the first place and then ask God to bless us with thoughts of forgiveness and with ways that would make the wrong right instead of making the wrong more wrong. And you know, one thing that I've found that helps me a whole lot at this time is then I force myself to begin praying for the individual that I was hoping something negative would happen to them. And that brings it to reality that we really do want the heart of Christ, that we want what's best for other people's souls. As we consider that, I'd like for you to think about a passage in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 5. He's just talked about in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 10, about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. In other words, he's talking about the civil war battle that we go through of, of the spiritual battle and fighting the, the temptations of the flesh. And so that's the discussion here in 2 Corinthians 10. And so he's talking about this and he says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, notice that, every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ. And so we take all of our thoughts, and the Lord, the Lord says, I tell you what, you can have a few wicked thoughts today, and, and I won't hold you accountable. Is that what He says? No. Well, I tell you what, if somebody really, really aggravates you, you can have some wicked thoughts towards them and, and we'll excuse that because they really aggravated you. No. The Lord says, I want you to strive to become such a spiritual-minded person that you can bring every thought under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're talking about some of the strongest discipline that is involved in spiritual living. When you and I hold ourselves accountable for our thoughts... And we better do it because God is. And so there's that wrong way sign that's saying, don't travel that path. Don't let your mind continually dwell on things that are wrong, but seek to dwell on things that are godly. And Philippians 4 and 8 would talk about much of that. But let's look at the fifth and sixth one here. And of course, out of seven... Uh, we're going to have to combine a few here. And so what I'd like to do is mention uh, the fifth one to you, and the sixth one is, is uh, something that's very similar to what we've already covered before. But the fifth one, we could say, in a sense, is just an extent of the heart. If a heart is devising wicked plans, what's going to happen? Well, sooner or later, the feet are going to get busy fulfilling those wicked plans. Now, many of us as children probably sung a song about be careful little feet where you go. Now, before you say that was a cute little children's song, I want to remind you that, that is an awesome challenge for all of us. The truth is, if we think about little children, I've not seen many little children that have a hard time getting their feet to take them in the right direction because most of the little children's feet are taking them in whatever direction their parents are taking them. And so what we really need to be thinking about is really that little song is more for us adults that make so many decisions in the lives of the children. And where are our feet taking us? And are we being what God wants us to be? In Psalms, the first chapter, we read a powerful passage 
I want you to either read along with me or, or listen to Psalms, the first chapter and verse 1, where he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now I want you to notice this deterioration here. Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now that's a beautiful thing, but what if he starts that path of deterioration? Now notice there, it was walking, standing, and sitting. I want you to imagine with me, and let's just go back to the days where maybe if you can remember when you were single, and some of you guys, it'll be real easy for you. You're walking down the mall, and you look over at the opposite sex that's standing in a store, and they catch your eye, but you're already by, and you say, whoa, I think I'm going to walk back by that store and see if what I thought I saw is what I saw. And so you walk by again. Notice, you're walking at this point. That is what I thought I saw. I think I'm going to go and shop in that store. And so you go and you shop in that store, and of course you know where you're going to end up stopping, right? Somewhere along about the same aisle, somewhere close by, and you're going to stop walking and you're going to start standing. And maybe if it's a great day, you strike up a conversation and say, you want to go set a Johnny Rockets and have a milkshake? God says that's the way we find sin. When we start walking, instead of keeping our focus on God we start looking around and making sure that our journey is taking us by sin. And then before long, we say, well, I don't want to sit down with sin, but I think I'll just go stand around it a little while. And then the next thing we know, we're sitting in the seat of the scornful, those that will speak out against righteousness, those that would lift up wickedness, and instead of rebuking that and standing with God, we're happy to be sitting there. And so it is, I need to make sure that as I consider the things that God says don't do, one of the things that He would say is make sure that your feet don't take you to fulfill evil. Notice the sixth one is to not bear false witness uh, in one who speaks lies. We've already talked about a lying tongue, but you know we can lie about a lot of things. This is talking about something specifically. This is when we lie in order to injure another person. You know, when you read in the book, in the Gospels, about the uh, crucifixion, the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it makes it very clear that one of the ways that they were able to move their trial forward against the only perfect man that ever walked on the face of this earth was that they bore false witness against Him. In other words, they lied about Jesus so as to injure Him. God says that's a wrong way sign. That's wrong. We never should lie in the first place, but think how horrible it is when our desire is to do wrong so that we can accomplish even other wrongs, such as injure those that we ought to be loving instead of hurting them. Now the final one, notice there, as we end verse 19, he says, "...and one who sows discord among the brethren." There are a lot of things we could say about sowing discord among the brethren. You know, one of the things I need to remind myself of is how wonderful the church is to God. He gave His Son to purchase this body of people. Individually and collectively as people. Listen carefully to this. As people, we're not perfect. By blueprint and by design, the Lord's church is perfect. Now I want to ask you, does the Lord allow us to love the design, but you can pick and choose which people you want to love. 
No. The Lord asks us to love His will and to love His church. That means we're going to have to learn to love the unlovable. We're going to have to learn to deal with those that aren't always like us. When we sow discord, we're actually bringing injury to the body of Christ. The way to avoid that is to have a heart of forgiveness. The way to avoid that is to be a peacemaker. I want to challenge you. The next time that you hear someone speaking against the body of Christ, will you be the one that makes peace? What if I said to you, Oh, meet my friend here. He's a cabinet maker. Does that say to you he just stands around cabinets all the time? Does that say to you he just looks like a cabinet? No. If he is a cabinet maker, he's one that takes supplies that are not a cabinet and he literally makes them into a cabinet. The Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's not a compliment to be able to stand among the peaceful and advocate peace. The test of really how spiritual we are and how much we love the body of Christ is when we can stand in the midst of turmoil and be the one that advocates peace. When we will not sacrifice the truth, but we also will not sacrifice love for people's souls. And we speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 and 15. Jesus said some harsh things, and He said some strong things. But Jesus always loved the souls of individuals. In Galatians, and we close with this, in Galatians, the fifth chapter, I want you to think how strong the words that Jesus used in His covenant. It's Paul's writing, but it's in Christ's covenant as He described what some of them were about to do to the body of Christ. Galatians, the fifth chapter. In verse 14 and 15, I want to back up and start in 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. And of course that one word would be love, but instead he puts it in a phrase and he says, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he explains what is happening at Corinth. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He gives one of the most grotesque spiritual examples that you can find in the Scriptures. And friends, I'm not twisting this out of context. He literally is telling us, when you stop loving the Lord's church and you start sowing discord, you have become a cannibal. You bite, not just tear away at the flesh, because then He says, and devour. And then, lest we be unclear what He meant by that, He says, you consume one another. I dare say there's not a person here that would think 
that one of the most gross things you could find out about your neighbor is that they literally ate the flesh of other people. God, can you explain to us how you perceive it when Christians backbite and gossip and tear down your body? He says, hold your stomach, but I'm going to tell you. It's like watching a cannibal. It's a wrong way sign. How much do you love the church? Do you love her enough to build her up and not eat her up? This morning is your life right with God. The wonderful news is God knows that we're not perfect and He gives us an opportunity to turn, to turn away from the, one, the wrong way sign and to go back to the grace of God to the love of God, to serving God, to placing Him as the preeminent one in our life and the ruler of our life and submitting to Him in every way. This morning, if you want to be baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that this morning as a believer, willing to make that turn in your life and not ashamed of the Lord? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you find yourself among some of these deadly sins. You know, there's not a person here this morning that hasn't been guilty of many of the things that we've studied this morning. We're not perfect. We're just trying to get it right and go home. And we can't do it on our own. And we can't do it without God's forgiveness. And this morning, if you're ready to turn things around and turn it back over to God and seek His forgiveness, we can pray with you for you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. In my...